thank you everyone for coming out on this sweaty London day, which is the norm now apparently. Um, so yes, this is my podcast, Control Alt Delete, that I do live occasionally, only because it's much nicer to do it with people, everyone can ask questions at the end, and then it goes up on iTunes the next day, so if you're happy to be on the podcast, then do ask the question at the end. Um, as Anna was saying, I'm really happy to be doing this at the BFI. I wanted to do this series anyway on the podcast, interviewing amazing people about this process, which seems a bit smoke and mirrors, a bit murky. No one really knows sometimes what goes into it, but adapting words on a page to a small or big screen, especially books. And I'm so excited to be joined by Rose Cartwright, who I first kind of stumbled across in 2000. 13, 14, yeah, when I pledged for Pure on Unbound. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, before we get into it, um, what was that like self-publishing the book, first of all? Because what I love about you is is this has been quite a journey of different platforms, uh-huh. the message getting out there in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, well, I decided to self-publish um, because I'd had... The feedback that I got from a lot of mainstream publishers was that um, they didn't know how to place the book because they didn't know where the audience was. And I wrote a book about a specific type of OCD that isn't really very understood. And um, specifically when people get intrusive sexual thoughts and they um, perform compulsive actions to try and neutralize the anxiety associated with those thoughts. Now, that hadn't been something that had ever been written about before. But I knew that there were hundreds of thousands of people out there who were experiencing that. So I felt pretty confident that I could, that I knew that audience was out there and that I could find them. So I did get, um, without being impolite, I got a, 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 I did get an offer to publish mainstream, but um, it wasn't right. I didn't feel like it was right for the tone of the book. So uh, yeah, I decided to publish with uh, publishers called Unbound, and I uh, mainly because I wanted to make a video. I, I made a pitch video because I think there's something quite powerful about speaking your message down the barrel of a camera when it's something that hasn't really been spoken about before. Um, and yeah, I just kind of <laughs> launched it out into the world and was like, this is who I am and this is what I've been dealing with in secret for the best part of my adult life. And um, I don't know, it kind of resonated and people pledged, including you and um, a lot of the people in the audience today. Um, so it's very exciting, you get your name at the end and then, yeah. you know. I'm part of this book. Yeah. But I guess with memoir especially, and this is why I wanted to talk to you about how you've how, you know, it's been adapted for TV, Channel Four. It's such a personal book, obviously, mm-hmm. memoirs are. Did you fictionalise anything in the book or has that all happened with the adaptation? No, so the book's a true story, um, down to the details. The only things that are have been slightly adapted in the book is where um, I had to be careful about people's identity or, lo- or location, so factual details that weren't very consequential, or those kind of hazy things where you're describing something that happened 10 years ago and you couldn't pinpoint it to a specific day, but for the sake of story, that you know, mm. you write it like, like it's fiction. But no, it's, it's, it's a totally true story. And the, and the adaptation is a fictionalisation of the true story, so there's a lot of fiction in, in the TV show. I wanted to ask you about, because you 
go by a slightly different name now, your mm-hmm. surname. Yeah. It's funny how attached you get to names because I don't know if it's social media, but I, you know when someone changed the name, yeah. you can't quite compute it at first. <laughs> but um, it's interesting what you were saying about maybe that being a mechanism to set a boundary between you and then the you that is going to be on the, in the TV series. Yeah, well... So when I first started writing about OCD, I used my mother's maiden name, which is Ratache, and it's a name that's very dear to me. It's a family name. Um, and the reason that I did that is because I had, um, I'd already kind of established a portfolio for myself in the commercial and branding world in production and um, production writing and copywriting. And when I published my Guardian article, which was about OCD and about intrusive sexual thoughts, it was, I just assumed it would be a complete anomaly in my career. And I kind of sort of almost like I was kind of like gaming my portfolio. I thought, oh, well, that will just live over there. And if I need to use it, it's kind of separate. But then it kind of turned into the book. And then the book kind of turned into the TV show. I was like, okay, rather than being an anomaly, it's actually going to be the making of my career. And then I just realized that um, the name that I used for the show was the name that I would have to use kind of from here on in. And I just wanted to use my birth name, which is Cartwright. So... You'd want to. You'd want someone to Google both no, names and sort of come up with different, maybe different things. Um, yeah, back then, yeah. Like right now, it's kind of Cartwright all the way, and I think Google's clever enough that it it knows it knows anyway. Like everyone always ends up where they need to end up. But yeah, back then when I was kind of like, uh, well, when I wrote the book, I was creative directing at a production company um, three days a week and writing the book two days a week. And back then, it was very useful to have two different kind of umbrellas of work. And with the first steps of getting a book adapted or, or optioned, I mean, I actually don't know anything about this, which is why I'm sort of um, I'm coming at it really objectively. And also, I think people get really excited when they're like, oh, my God, your book's been optioned. I mean, my book was optioned, mm-hmm. like, three years ago. Nothing came of it. Like, that is so normal that people are interested and then and then doesn't quite make it or you you they pay you like every year for a bit because they want to renew it mm-hmm. that's quite normal but how does it become being something that someone sort of bought into mm-hmm. and then actually signed off and mm-hmm. being made the first I ever sort of thought that pure might ever be on screen was when I got uh, an email from an agent who was like I think Pure would be really good on screen. I was like, really? Okay. Um, And then, so I got an agent. He was very interested in representing the book for Book to Film Rights. Um, And then things just happened really, really quickly from that point. Um, I, so she sent the book out to various different production companies. And so this was, I published the book in September 2015. And I only realised this when I was doing my homework yesterday and I was like, this is actually a really good opportunity for me because I'm piecing together the order that everything in ha- happened in, like actually sit down and figure out like, yeah, when stuff happened. But September 2015, I published the book and then only 15 months later, we got the green light from Channel 4. Amazing. So it all happened in that time, which is like, <laughs> when I looked back yesterday, I was like, oh my God, no wonder I'm so tired. Like it's been such a whirlwind. Um, but yeah, got the agent, and then we sent the book out to different production companies, obviously with a few target production companies in mind, um, and then met with a bunch of production companies and um, had favourites and then received um, creative and financial proposals from three different production companies, which was quite exciting because then I had to go in a home and sort of sit down and pour over all the pros and cons of all these different production companies. 
Um, and then the other thing that any author needs if they want their book to be adapted is a broadcaster who's interested. Um, and we were really fortunate because um, Channel 4 had already expressed an interest, they'd already independently of us going out into the world with it, they picked up on the book and approached a production company called Drama Republic and, and expressed interest in, in developing it with them. So Drama Republic were one of our three and their proposal was really incredible and everything just felt really right. So we already had the, the, the broadcaster like tentatively attached and um, I met Drama Republic and they were amazing and it, everything just clicked and um, yeah, by January, like four months later, I think, we'd, um, I'd optioned with them which I remember because it was just like around the time of my 30th birthday and I was super excited. Um, but yeah, and then, but uh, you know, you, you know the same thing, like when you're self-employed, you're so used to stuff never happening. So like when the book got optioned, I never drew it, like I just didn't like let my brain go there because, you know, especially working in branding as well and commercials, like you're just pitching all the time and that you th you, a pitch is gone and then you forget about it. So I kind of treated it like that. Did any of your other parts of your job actually help in this instance, having been doing kind of things in other areas of the creative industry? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm so used to, like, spinning plates professionally that at the time this was just, like, another plate that I was spinning. And, like, some, like you know, I never put all my eggs in this basket, which meant that I was focusing on a million, million other things. Um, super helpful, yeah. And, um, yeah... I have that when I'm like, oh, I forgot I did that, and then someone's interested. Mm. You're like, I literally let that one go. Yeah. Um, but that's amazing. I wondered how it might have felt knowing that you weren't going to be in full control, seeing as you'd written the book and it was your, it's your story. Yeah. Um, what was going through your head when you knew that the end product, you, you can't yeah. really make that as, as you did with the book all yeah. yourself? Well, um, from like the start of the whole process, I knew a, a couple of things. One was that I would, I would want to stay close to the creative heart of whatever got made, but also that I was ready to let out some rope and bring other people on creatively to help the story grow, because it needed to, and um, it's not something that any one person can take on. And I wanted the show to be the best that it could be, so it was really exciting um, to go through the process and meet new minds on it and, and watch other people bring really amazing things to it. Like, that's been a real joy. And you kind of, it, you know, it is emotional and it's like, obviously, like, my DNA is, like, all over that show. But, um, like, the, the fresh voice and perspective that Kirsty <coughs> Swain, the uh, screenwriter, has brought to it, that Jen Kenwood, the producer, has brought to it, that Morvin Reed, the script editor, brought to it, and Rowana Byrne, the exec, like... Just so many amazing women that have made it like something else, mm. and that's like just, just yeah, just lovely to watch. Yeah, it's so lovely working with other people, especially when you are a writer and you do can spend a lot of time on your own as well. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. I'm and really what was it like it. being on the set? Oh my god, it was amazing! It was amazing. Um, the first time I went down to set was um, in February when it was like Beast of the East week. Um, and it was freezing cold and um, producer Jen who's here tonight was wearing a big <laughs> puffer jacket and we all had um, little like hand warmers um, I can't and... even imagine that now <laughs> I know right <laughs> it's sitting here sweating um, 
but I I had no idea what to expect but I had like just finished work and it was really really dark because it was only like six in the evening but it was midwinter and like I turned the corner at the top of like Shoreditch High Street um, and like that's like my old stomping ground like I write about growing up around there and like walking up and down that street in various states of inebriation and joy and misery so I turned the top, um, like, at Shoreditch Cross, and I looked down, and there's, like, 60 guys in, like, high-vis jackets. So I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, what have I done? And then just I had this just huge grin on my face, like, the whole time. I was like, oh, my God, this is real. And um, got down, got down. I like, saw Neil Carrier, director of Block One, amazing director, um, said hi to him, like, met some of the crew for the first time. And, yeah, it was just extraordinary, like, what... Um, you know anyone who, who's familiar with the book will know that there's obviously a lot of nudity in it and uh it, it being like beast of the east week like it was freezing cold like we had to really look after the extras that day like the medic was really on standby there's like there's yeah there, you know 50 or so naked people that needed <laughs> wrapping up very warm um but what was wicked was um so we we, we shoot intrusive thoughts in the show there's nothing I'm not giving anything away by saying that um and it can be quite funny on set because like the the um you'll shoot like a normal scene and then the assistant director will be like cut and um and now we're going to do the intrusive thought and you'll shout intrusive thought and then like they reset and then whatever you've seen will be like perverted in some way with like a strap on or like some clothes coming off um, so um, I watched that happening down an alleyway, um, down by Shoreditch High Street. Um, AD shouting intrusive thought, and the crew are like just like hitting her, getting the strap on her. Um, and someone had to go and tell someone in the salon that their clientele might see something inappropriate if they looked out the window. I was just like, "What is my life? What is my life?" And um, but then like everyone was laughing about it, and I thought, "Oh my god!" Like I used to be so ashamed of all of that, and like now I was like. Um, just like 60 people like able to like laugh about it I felt so proud I was like the proudest day of my life <laughs> sorry I always get emotional in interviews always but like I was just like that like the OCD that I wrote about nobody knew that existed and um, I kept it secret for like 10 years um, so to like go down to set and to see it just being so like accepted and like um, people talking about it like it was really normal like I realised that like I put that knowledge in the minds of everyone that was there and I was just like fuck like this is awesome <laughs> like life is awesome because like now like that's going to get seen by god knows how many thousands of people mm. and it's going to get put into their minds too and I was like this is a great thing. Like, I'm so excited about the whole thing. And, like, I didn't, like... You, nothing can prepare you for that. Like, storytelling and retelling your story is, like... It's just so healing. And, like, when you actually see it on set and you feel the power of seeing your story performed, it's, like, it just really brings that alive. Like, wow, like, this is going to live and it's going to live in a different way now. And, like, that's just mm. awesome. Yeah, and having so many people on the set all there to tell your story, all yeah. doing their bit to make sure that people know about it. And exactly, and everyone taking it so seriously and all the actors and um, just everyone being so careful to get it right and to do it responsibly. It was just like, it was amazing. And do you feel like since 
you did that Guardian article, which I remember. I remember that really vividly, like the cover of was it the Observer magazine or uh, the Guardian, Guardian weekend. weekend? Yeah, and it was. Um, and I remember obviously it being a massive deal because that's your a personal private story for so long. Mm-hmm. Now it's there on the cover of you know Guardian Weekend, and since then, do you think the mental health conversation has ramped up? Because I feel like a lot of people know about it now. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you are a massive part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I like. I really like. I really noticed noticed it change in five years. That was five years ago when I wrote that article. Um, it just feels like the pace is really snowballing on all that stuff. And I think, um, yeah, I think personal testimonies like that are a huge, huge part of it because, like, it gives it gives like the next generation like an opportunity to like see oh, okay this is like a thing I didn't know this was a thing like I used to think I was the only person in the world that had experienced those things so I think I'm seeing more and more of those kind of like memoir pieces out there mm. um, and that's fantastic yeah I think it's really an exciting time in general where a lot of people are sharing all sorts of things like about all parts of their lives and people are think even like a tweet, and then you think, oh, that I'm I'm like that, or I do that, or that's I thought I was the only one, yeah, and I'm not, yeah. Um, do you find that with social media in general? Like, do you find that you have a lot of space on there to engage with people, or do you find it a bit overwhelming? Um, with social media, I find I think the reason why I'm always like trying to make stuff and why like your podcast and other podcasts are so important is because it's a long-form conversation. I find, like, especially Twitter, really limiting. And, you know, one of the things, one of the problems with talking about mental health is, like, it's so, like, nuanced. And, you know, OCD, to give OCD as an example, it's, like, it's defined by its nuance. And, you know, whatever, is it 280 characters now? It's, it's just like the perfect really... amount to be enraged by something. It's like, it's like, yeah, exactly. And, like, um, I don't know. I find it... I try to not have important conversations on Twitter or Instagram if I can mm-hmm. because I think, like, I'm putting a lot of work out into the world that deals with these questions in a much more long-form and nuanced way that's not really the place. But, you know, it's, it's super important because it means that people, you know, a guy in Florida can reach out to me and comment on one of my photos and then we can have a little back and forth and like we know each other exists and like that's valuable but it's just not very discursive yeah and as you say like people get mad on it and I don't want to deal with mad people yeah no it's true and I think as well when your story is out there people feel like maybe they can contact you for advice and things like that yeah the the kind of um negative of that is that you you don't want to be like someone's therapist when you're a not trained and B yeah. got your own stuff going on. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, and also like the um, the contact that I get from the public is already quite overwhelming. Um, most days I'll have someone reach out to me and tell me their story, and it's often not a nice story. And ask for help, and I can't, I'm not qualified to give that help, and I don't have the resources, and that's a real challenge. Um, and I'm not quite sure how that's going to evolve when the show comes out because obviously I'm going to be getting loads more exposure I don't know, I need to figure all that out um, it's kind of sad that, that that people don't have the resources available to, they don't have anyone else to go to because I'm, like, I'm no example of <laughs> how to lead a mentally healthy life um, 
So that can be challenging. I get, yeah, I get a lot of like heavy shit coming in my inbox. And with the marketing of these things, and um, I know you can't give too much away um, about it coming out, but in the lead up to these things, like what, what, what does that look like in terms of your involvement? Um, well, we don't have a transmission date yet, so it's still very early days in TV world. Um, but um, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of on the team. We're all going to be in muck and bullets together in the press campaign. Like, we're all really excited to, to shout about it. And um, the, you know, we have amazing actors. Kirsty, the screenwriter, is incredible. Like, it's gonna, I don't know, I can't wait. I can't wait for everyone to just be able to get there because right now I can't really, yeah, can't yeah. Really say much. Well, no, it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any questions if I've missed out anything kind of practical or logistics or anything like that? Um, please ask because I could just ramble on all night about going off on tangents. So if you have any questions, um, you know, do it now. We've got some mics at the back. Hi. Um, how did you find the casting experience? Good question. Um, yeah, I mean, the obviously the the key cast that I was concerned about was um, Marnie, who's the lead character, who's based on me. And um, I watched a lot of audition tapes, and I know the guys, the casting director and the producers, saw a lot of girls, like... I think close to 100 girls. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really long process. Um, and then when it came down to it, there were really just like a handful of like standouts. And of that ha handful, there was a standout, and that was Charlie Clive, who we ended up casting. Um, who um, this is going to be her first big show, and she's just like extraordinary. I can't wait for you all to get to know her. Um, it was, it was interesting, like especially like watching the audition tapes and like with some of the girls it really felt like they were like performing they like really overacted the anxiety and it made and it, and it didn't it make very comfortable watching it just didn't feel like it came naturally to them but with Charlie she just came on stage and like there was just like something in her eyes like so much like depth you could just tell that she just like got it um, and that she was drawing on something personal and it was just like it was just an absolute joy to watch and I sat in the room with Jen, a producer, and um, yeah, we had tears in her eyes. I was like, oh my God, she's our girl. Um, yeah, and it was really like when I saw the tape, it was like, yeah, it, well, there was no doubt. Um, and then as for the rest of the casts, like a lot of the, a lot of the additional cast is um, not based on the book. Like the, the series has obviously grown a lot compared to the book. So um, like she has, uh, a very good friend, like two very good friends in the show that um, are not drawn from anyone in the book, and there's a couple of love interests which aren't directly drawn from the book either. So um, I wasn't as involved in those cast decisions, um, but the results are amazing. Like we, yeah, they're all they're all fabulous guys. What a fun process! Yeah, <laughs> it's really fun. It was really fun. Um, what's next? Do you do you see so it? sort of evolving into I know you said that you're not quite sure how to deal with people when they're going to start when they're going to start talking to you when the show's happening like do you see it evolving into a bigger sort of social campaign like what what's what's next for you um so I'm just continuing to spin plates as I always have I've been self-employed since I was in my mid-20s so this is kind of 
yeah, the continuation of that. Um, I'm trying to strike a balance between um, doing creative work in the mental health space, but not becoming the OCD girl, if that makes sense. Um, so I am on the board and I'm a founding member of um, a charity that's based out of New York and we're going to be doing a massive initiative later this year to push into the UK um, and that's that's about I don't know maybe like a fifth of my mind at the moment like it's it's a big chunk of it but then also I'm working on a couple of short films that are completely unrelated to mental health in any way I'm working with a really amazing artist called Rosalind Nishishibi on a really strange like sci-fi adaptation which is just fantastic because it takes my mind out of that place and it's just like yeah it's really good for me um and yeah just kind of yeah just hustling every day trying to figure it out it must be important to have those other projects to kind of take the weight off yeah yeah exactly and like you know I've been I'm still like I still have an active role in the show but now we're in the edit like I have a lot more time like most of my work on the show was at the scripting stage when I was feeding back on scripts and giving notes Um, and now we're in the edit like it's still it's still a thing but like I have a lot more time Um, and I've also I'm also really liking the screenwriting that I'm doing so I'm, I've also just written a, an original screenplay as well so yeah a few pots fingers and pies yeah fingers and so many pies <laughs> I know there's so, there's so many other bits I could do as a, for another podcast and I forget about stuff that I do I'm like oh yeah yeah and that and then yeah whatever um, I think we've got time for one more uh, why is series not a movie? Um, <laughs> interesting um I mean, don't get me wrong, if like Universal Studios had come knocking on the door, you know, maybe I'd have had a decision if you're to make. Listening. Um, I don't know. I think um, the great thing about being a series is that um, it's just, it's, it's not immediate, don't get me wrong. It's been a lot of work and over a lot of months, but like it just had momentum from the start, and Channel 4 feels like a really natural home for it, and it's going to be in people's living, living rooms. The subject matter just feels really right for TV somehow, I don't know. And also, um, it's an evolving story as well. Um, Like, Marnie, the central character, is going to grow in ways that we don't really know yet. Um, So it feels right that it's not finite, like a movie, because, yeah, her mental health story and mine is still unfolding. One last question from me. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favourite sitcoms or shows or movies or anything like that which in some way has covered mental health in any way mm-hmm. where you've gone actually that's really spoken to me or is there any inspirations that you've um, had along the way I I just love girls um, I just think that was such a seminal show um, and you know Lena Dunham don't, she touches on her OCD but it's not even really about that. And I think that's, that's you know, pure as a show about a girl with OCD, but there's also so much more to her. And I think girls really change the conversation around um, women talking honestly about their minds and about their sexuality, um, n- and not necessarily in a clinical context of, like, diagnostic labels, but just, like, the mess of life. And Broad City yeah. did that really well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and both those shows are funny, like, really funny as well. Um, so yeah 
That's such a good point, because I remember when Girls first came out, everyone was a bit like, oh, it's so uncomfortable to watch my eyes, like mm. an awkward sex scene or whatever. And then by the end, everyone was like, oh, yeah, this is... They kind of got used to it and got into it, and the more we see of more real, raw things, yeah. the better, I think. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming out on a, a warm evening. Um, and... Yeah, thank you so much. Thank this will be going you, out Emma. on iTunes tomorrow. And if you haven't already, I really um, recommend you read the book Pure ahead of the TV series that's coming yes. out soon. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you so, Emma. so much. Thanks, Lovely. everyone. Thank you. Thank you.